Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I am Brenton Williams. I'm Tom Annis. I am Alex Coos. And I'm Jeremy Duvall. Welcome! I'm really excited to have uh, these fine gentlemen on the show. So we have uh, the Spymaster himself, Dojo's Everyman, Handsome Tom Annis. How are you doing, Tom? Great, great. Excited to talk some some hot meta talk with you guys. Mm-hmm. Totally excited, too. Uh, and then we also got, I, I, I've come up with a nickname for him. I'm now going to call him uh, Brenton Check the Byline Williams is on the episode. Uh, how are you doing, Brenton? I'm doing good. Also, uh, next to Handsome Tom Annis, I am known as Ugly Brenton. Uh, it's like the two sides of the same coin. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, face for radio and a voice for print. And then also Alex Coos. Um, how you doing, Alex? I'm doing great. Well, as the, uh, our guests have sort of mentioned, um, this episode is going to be on all things COC 2022. But looking at it, sort of the pack more through uh, a competitive lens. You know, uh, myself, Alex, Britton, and Tom playing a lot of tournaments. Also. Uh, Britain writes uh, on sort of the meta for Dash 28. Uh, you know, Tom ha- keeps a pretty extensive list of tournament winning lists. So I'm really excited to have both Brenton and Tom here to sort of talk with Alex and myself about uh, where they see the game going, how is the cock pack going to sort of affect lists, and all that good jazz. So, and I know, you know, Alex and I had talked about doing this episode a, a while ago, but we wanted to give you guys. You know, a, a couple of weeks, right, to sit with the pack. So what is your, before we sort of get into sort of the, the meat and potatoes, what do you guys think the sort of the re- the reception has been? As far as I know, I like it, and I know I've talked to you individually, but most people I've I've talked to are pretty happy with the, the, the cock pack. Have you guys been hearing anything different? I mean, so uh, apologies in advance um, if this sounds too sort of tech bro, product manager I sort of when I when I try and look at things dispassionately, I try and find metrics, sort of things that I can measure that show what effect they're having on my life. What I would say is that I've probably made more armies in the last like week and a half for for you know races and army lists that I have no intention of ever actually building and painting. Um, just sort of constantly churning out easy army, quick armies, and trying stuff, and it's just like obsessing in my brain over which hasn't been happening as recently for kings of war before this pack so like my personal reception of it has been a giant sort of injection of energy back into list building army creation army ideas that has just blown up the amount of lists i've been doing on just in my head and then eventually on easy army so i've been super excited and i've seen that same sort of reaction in the community for as many changes as were made the negative reaction that I've seen has been really, really slight, I'd say, uh, which tells me that the RC um, and Mantic did a really, really good job with this cock pack. I think also the fact that it's a no nerf 
pack helped because um, everybody's just getting things. No one, nobody's getting things to take away. Quote, uh, quotations around no nerf, but yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Some exception, but yeah, no, I, I think everybody's just excited, and uh, there haven't been any tournaments, so there haven't been any, you know, people getting mad at lists other people are taking. So that'll come. Uh, we're going to talk about a couple couple warning signs, you know, a, a couple p- potential trouble areas later in this episode. But uh, overall, it's been really, really positive. Yeah, I think usually Fanatics is aflame at this point in the, in the year after Clash of Kings gets released. And this year, like you guys have said, it's just been a lot more positive. You know, obviously, no nerfs help. But I think everyone's just happy to have some changes because the last two years have been rather samey. And I think everyone was really ready for a shakeup, even if it was a little bit, you know, bigger than normal and a little different for a lot of things. So I think and I think that RC did a great job, but I think everyone was really ready and hungry for some change. And I think this this book has really delivered on it. Yeah, it's it's yeah. freaking Christmas morning. Like everyone's checking out their new toys, like opening their stuff up, seeing what they got. There's going to be some like jealous looks at the house next to you that their bike is a little cooler. But for now, everyone's just kind of enjoying the stuff they got that, that Santa brought them. Um, it's like in, and, in Step Brothers when one gets the like the the screen quality Chewbacca mask and the other yeah. guy is like, I don't care. Mine's not screen quality, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that that time will come and there's a little of it kicking around like. You know, why, why are score swings so good when my elf cavalry isn't as good? There's a little of those floating around, but there's still a lot of just like, hey, neat stuff to try. Let's all enjoy it for a while. Yeah, that's sort of what I've been hearing, too, is a lot of people being like, how many armies can I save on my easy army saved army list? I think Joey Greek actually said he capped out at like how many armies you could have saved. So, yeah, I, you know, maybe people are like not complaining as much because they're building armies or something. So I think it's been a pretty positive reception from the community, too, now that they've been able to sit with it for a couple weeks. I think for the most part, people are excited about it uh, and still looking at actually getting some, you know, some more results in as opposed to finding stuff that they don't like, which is cool. So in this episode, uh, as we said at the open, we're going to talk a little bit about what list uh, we might be seeing in in coming out of the COC 2022 update. Uh, how how is that going to affect the meta? And before we we talk about that, you know, we use this term a lot, right, in gaming, meta this, meta that, and I think it's a good idea if we're going to talk a little bit about how the meta might change. We need to understand like what that is. So I think, right, guys, in, in hobby, when we when we talk a meta about meta, we're talking about you know what are the lists or what of the what are the factions that are going to events and doing well uh, or if we're talking about like what the meta list the meta is sort of maybe the whole tournament scene but there are certain aspects within that sort of turning soup or, or maybe you go first britain what is like meta means to you when you think about that uh yeah i mean it's it's this weird term some people sort of scoff and hate it as soon as they hear it and some people can't get through a conversation about kings of war without using it but what it basically represents is the uh factions and type of lists that will be present in a given uh, environment tournament scene whatever right 
so in its simplest form, if you're playing in your basement with your three friends and one of you has an elf army, one of you has undead and one of you has salamanders, like that is your meta. You're not worried about ogres changes. You're not worried about, you know, what someone in the UK is taking. You only play those people. That is your meta. When you zoom out, it becomes sort of what, what are you expecting at the events you're going to? How does, you know, uh, events and internet rumors and sort of perceived power and model availability and all that sort of affect what is showing up at the events you're going to? That's the sort of meta as I see it. And then there's this sort of idea of like a meta list. And that's that common sort of well-known, some people sort of derisively can call it net list or something else. But it's it's this sort of like commonly known list ar- archetype with a lot of the same things that you can expect to see at an event um, because it's the sort of defining list for that uh, faction. Um, it's the meta thing. Uh, like the list Tom took to Masters, I would say, is a, a meta undead list. <laughs> uh, not in an insulting way, just like it is what it is. And is that sort of how you see it, Tom? Like what, what Brent says, uh, the, or, or what do you think helps shape a meta? Or, or you know, now that we're, we're gaining a sense of what a meta is, what do you think are the elements that really go into forming a meta? That's a good question. Um, mostly it's it's just what, what the top players are taking in your region. Somebody switching armies to a different army type can drastically shape your very local 30-person tournament scene meta just just by dint of, of changing lists. Uh, I, I, I think there's a couple different ways that at least I use the term or ways to think about that word, which I think is is a useful way to... to talk about things even if some people don't aren't aren't really fans of the term but like Britton was saying it could either be what what list people are taking you could also think of it like what are the lists that are doing well like top three lists at tournaments what what are those uh lists taking or not taking what you know within lists so like what type of shooting are they taking what type of shooting are they not taking and that would form like the shooting meta what what types of shooting are people taking across lists, regardless of faction? So there's a couple different ways of, of thinking about it. You know, are people taking shooting at all? Are people taking heal? Or how many drops are people taking? Are people taking scoring drops versus you know individuals? And so there's a lot of different ways to use the term. Just because we're talking about meta tonight, it, it, there's nothing definitive about what our what our opinions are. Um, you know, even if something's meta, doesn't mean that it has to. It's meta in your list, in your region, or you know that it can't be changed. It's sort of the environment in which you're you're bringing your choices into, right? Um, I think Tom touches on something really important there. If you look at something like shooting, if you're in a really really low shooting meta, as in most of the players for whatever reason. They don't like to take it. They don't have the models. They think it's a, a unsportsman way to play. Whatever their reasons are, that your area has very, very low amounts of shooting. Then the list or the choices you make about your list or what you bring are going to be very different than in a place where 25 out of the 30 armies you're going to see at a GT have a heavy shooting component. So it's it's what is right 
in what is the right choice in a specific environment, in a specific meta, depends highly on what that meta is. There could be a dominant okay. list at your local store uh, that could do terribly at a GT across the country just because the the armies it is facing, the environment it is facing is totally different. Yeah, the meta kind of determines which problems your army has to solve, essentially. And if it doesn't have to solve dealing with shooting or if it doesn't have to deal with, you know, high defense, like defense six with heal, then you don't ever have to, you don't have to worry about that when you're building your list. There's something to be said about understanding the meta in a way so that you can actually build either into it or counter to it. Like some, you know, if you're counter meta, sometimes you can catch people out because they're going to be expecting what is meta. So it doesn't have to necessarily be like, this is the most powerful thing is just this is what generally is working or what's generally strong overall and like what tom said you know full disclaimers i imagine our adventure tonight is we're on the counter charge party bus right and we're driving through meta meta land usa and maybe when we're looking out the window we can all agree as we drive by like the grand canyon that oh my gosh that's awesome but maybe we see we're driving by a forest and we see a tree that maybe i like the look of that tree and Alex thinks I'm a moron. Or, you know, right, there's certain things that you come across that we can all agree on. Man, that's pretty good. But these other things, we might be at different different spots. And in the end, we could all be to- totally and horribly wrong about everything that we say. But this is more just the kind of like from a group of, you know, kind of experienced gamers. Like what are some – what do we think the game might be be moving towards so uh before we can talk about what that new land might look like or those changes we first got to get get kind of like a sense of where we were at so why don't we start with you tom this time give us and then we'll, we'll shoot around to britain if if you had me in the elevator uh and you're giving me like your 15 minute pitch of trying to explain to me the competitive Kings of War scene prior to the Clash of Kings update. What are th- what are, what are some things that like jump out at you as where we were at? The first thing to say is there are some lists that were just completely absent and so therefore had no effect on pretty much anybody's meta. Like my my list of those is like orcs, even though they're a great list in the right hands. You just I haven't seen an orc list at a South GT and maybe two years orcs brother mark free dwarves herd again even though they won the masters kings of men ratkin slaves and twilight kin those are that's my list of sort of little to no effect on the meta because nobody was taking them and then there's on the other end <clears throat> the really popular armies like northern alliance ogres uh undead night stalkers those are extremely popular and there's it, and just looking at tournament uh, results show up quite often, no matter what region you play in. And so the first thing to note or that I would note is just certain armies are way more popular than others for a variety of reasons. And that has some effect. Uh, one, one thing that they have in common, the, the more popular armies, is that they have a lot of good characters that have unit strength. So like Abyssals have the Abyssal Warlock, which is an inspiring caster slash shooting hero. Uh, Ogres have the Warlock, which is, again, a really good uh, now inspiring all caster. 
Night Stalkers have a lot of good characters, and and Northern Alliance has the the Frostfang Lords and, and characters like that. And so, I think the second thing is people were skewing to unit strength away from individuals, and that that comes across in in the more popular armies for sure. The third thing is I'd say shooting actually, <laughs> for better or worse, was doing really really well before this uh this cockpit came out so like if you go back to uh, the u.s masters in july a herd list won but every other pretty much every other list that was in the top 10 had a pretty strong shooting component and then that kind of continued on uh in some of the tournaments that we saw like uh crossroads uh, in september alex chavez uh Jake Jake Cherpico won overall with his undead and was second in battle points, but Alex Chavez had uh, first in battle and he took, you know, three Abyssal Warlocks and three Flame Bears. Uh, Tom Robinson won the UK Clash of Kings with a really strong, uh, unusual but strong shooting list with four uh, Pack Hunter regiments. The you know Jeff O'Neill continues his his reign of terror down in the southeast with his shooting goblins and then when he takes the tournament off and takes melee goblins uh keith randall wins with his extremely shooty elves and so people don't haven't really been talking about it but if you look at what's been winning heavy shooting lists are doing well and so that that's just a very general um what i've been seeing kind of in the past four or five months. And what do you think, Britain? does that sort of resonate with what you've been seeing when you've been following events and scenes? Yeah, absolutely. So the thing I wanted, a couple of things I wanted to sort of set out at the beginning, which is when, when I looked at the sort of Kings of War army sort of ranking meta or whatever, like what the top sort of armies and builds are, uh, what it appeared to be, and, and people will argue the finer points of what gets into each of these cohorts, but there was sort of a top cohort that kind of contained undead, goblins, probably the Northern Alliance, and then maybe Rordia or something else, depending on everyone's sort of mileage may vary on what else fits into that sort of S-tier top grouping. But you had a few that were just really powerful. Um, whether that's because their best build was really strong or they had so many different types of builds, there was really like a leader uh, above the pack. Then there was this giant grouping of almost everything else that was kind of in the middle. Competitive, but not not as good as that top tier. And then there are a few armies that sort of lagged behind. Uh, you know, Brother Mark, Twilight Kin, some others that just didn't either have the the list flexibility and unlocks to to build in sort of good ways or just didn't have the units or whatever it was. They just weren't quite as good. So you had sort of a bell curve. Like you had a few terrible armies, a whole bunch of kind of middle armies, and then a few standout really good armies. And that's around like army power level. And then there was like army popularity, which is different and not to be confused with power level they're sometimes correlated like a really powerful army can be popular um, and more people can take it because it's good but with miniature wargaming unlike say you know card gaming collectible card gaming or computer gaming or something similar there's a lot more friction 
um, from generals choosing just the best stuff. Like people will have lore reasons they want to run an army. They'll have the models. It's what they want to paint. It's what's available. It's like cool models. There's a whole bunch of reasons that people kind of pick not just the best armies out there. So you get some kind of slightly underpowered but overrepresented armies in the meta as well, which is interesting. Like dwarves, regardless of whether they're good or bad, always make up like a huge part of the meta, which I always find interesting because just so many people want to play dwarves or have dwarven armies. But yeah, I generally agree with Tom. I think the shooting component is a really important thing he brought up. I think when we talk about strong shooting lists, it's also important to realize they weren't generally gun lines. They were oftentimes mobile, mid-range, piercing-based shooting. So the the goblin shooting list is not just a wall of archers. It's a wall of meat supported by a bunch of flexible shooting. It's heart piercers. It's the Northern Alliance 12-inch piercing shooting. It's all of those sort of tricky kind of mid-range flame bearers, that sort of thing shooting, which I found really interesting that that's what was developing to be most people's kind of shooting core units and then supplemented with lightning bolt or firebolts. Yeah, I always wonder if like metas sometimes will have sort of like I call it trope skew, which means if you're into fantasy wargaming, you probably and you've kept all your stuff, you probably have an undead army or you probably have a dwarf army or you probably have like those kind of like core warhammer fantasy or those core fantasy armies that there's been models for forever it's definitely like night stalkers were hugely underrepresented in uh v2 and night stalkers were a pretty good army for a lot of v2 but just wasn't showing up at tournaments and then mantic released a bunch of night stalker stuff and sort of rise of 3d printing and a bunch of other things and suddenly night stalkers are represented at events all the time and I, I don't see that just as a power thing. I see that as a model availability, you know, push behind the rules, like people understanding what the different units are and it's just becoming a more popular army. Yeah, I think there was a lot of just kind of like conceptual confusion with Night Stalkers and V2. Like people were like, I just don't understand how to build a list with this army because I don't know what it is. Like I don't know what these things are. Like there's no ingrained, like a troll, a dragon knights like we all have like mental ideas of what they should be doing in game and when you have like all these nebulous nightmare creatures it's just what do i what how am i supposed to build an army out of this with with scribbly lines yeah so now it's like they've been around long enough so people are starting to get more comfortable with it now there's a line of miniatures like you're saying and like it's just there's a level of comfort it's it there are no a more known quantity within kings of war so now people can be like think about it more in game and how they work as opposed to like what are they so they, they have the what are they kind of half figured out at this point and i think both you and tom or brenton you and tom both hit on a really good point about the shooting so efficient shooting that can score and move the game is still about movement it's still about scoring objectives so the static gun lines they never really worked and once those move and shoot uh, units became regular in abyssals and forces of nature, you know, lady bros and all those units, all those armies like that really opened up that play style. And I think it took a few months for it to like kind of take, take root and take hold and gave, gave, gave people enough time to paint up the units. 
but once that like actually like the rubber hit the road this summer in tournaments like you really saw how effective that style was yeah i just think it's interesting you know because we talk about this term meta and you know Britton, you brought up some interesting topics about how i think in many ways the metas for miniature war gamings are just a little irrational sometimes compared to say let's say the meta for magic right for those very reasons of why do you have that in your army i just love them i love dwarf rangers i don't care they're in my army you know or i love zombies or i love this or that that as we talk about this meta trying through through that competitive competitive lens just know that like metas in them in of themselves are these organic malleable things that are always changing sometimes for reasons that make no sense and here's the flip side of that, Jeremy, is what models does everybody have that have been sitting on the shelves that can be ready to go in, you know, uh, to, for the next tournament with a couple of weeks of, of love uh, shown to them? And I think to me, the big one that people are just going to be able to go into their, their shelves and get on the table right away is Sylvan Kin. It just seems to me like I didn't play Warhammer, like I've said uh, a lot of times on this podcast. So I don't have all those models, but my perception is, and maybe you guys can tell me if I'm right or wrong, but my perception is a lot of people loved Wood Elves in Warhammer and have a lot of Wood Elf models sitting around. And so I think I've already seen talk about this. They're like, well, I have three friends that are all planning on, uh, you know, spamming Glade Stalkers and Sylvan Kin because they just have a bunch of archers and they're going to throw that on the table. So that's the that's the flip side. What does everybody have that they haven't been using that we can see quickly uh, this year? I, I think that's a good point and a bit of foreshadowing <laughs> for what we're going to yeah. talk about later. Yeah, the, the the return of a trope moves much faster. Like the two things that get things onto the table fastest is like the return of an old like missed unit or type or the like. Mandic just made a really cool model for this and it's on sale right now. Like go get it and put it in your army. Those are like the two things that I see, like get stuff onto the table fastest. <laughs> so. Cause there's always that one guy, like you said, who has, you know, eight hordes of Flibberger widgets painted and they suck. Right. And then there's the one edition where Flibberger widgets are just like the OP. And that one guy's just cackling madly as he puts, you know, as he has the most OP army on day one, because he just happened to have some like random models painted. So again, I think that just speaks to the irrational nature and the unpredictability sometimes of wargaming metas. I mean, I do just want to caveat again. Kings of war is a pretty balanced game. Um, it's not perfect, but uh, wouldn't we say when we speak about things being, you know, one of the best armies in the game, uh, that shouldn't depress anyone. <laughs> Hopefully, um, it's it's you know they're better, but not so better that the most important things are the player and what happens on the tabletop. So it's not things like comparing not, like a, a Ferrari to a Honda Civic. It's not like the armies yeah. are that far apart. Yeah, yeah it's not it, it's not sort of Formula One where you know the bad car has no chance at catching the the mercedes regardless of what else happens you know it's it's player skill what happens on the tabletop is the the largest driver of success and then you know it can just if you have what i consider the worst army in the game and you are playing one of the best lists in the game it's an uphill battle every army can be another army on the board so we're what we're talking about here are very fine margins for the most point i was gonna say just remember folks the herd, well, a herd general 
won Masters this year. So they were much maligned for two years as the worst army in third edition, and they won Masters. So obviously player skill is the deciding factor for Kings of War generally. I like that sort of boxing idea, like a puncher's chance, right? Like you have this old grizzled boxer who should lose, but he could still knock you out, you know? That's still like Kings. Like maybe you have a list that should win, but your opponent rolls up, you make a stupid mistake, or, you know, they roll up and roll five 11s in a row on nerve or something. You know what I mean? So it's like the, any army can really truly beat any other army on any given day. It's just what are the, the odds of repeating that over and over? You know what I mean? Might not be as great, but. Okay, well, we're going to take a quick break, and on the other side, we're going to look at some of the armies, some of the lists that we feel really came out well due to the new cock pack, and what are some of the biggest winners, and maybe some of the, the no one lost, but maybe some didn't win quite as big. So uh, we'll be right back after this. Hello, this is Duncan Rhodes from the Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy, and I hope you're about to apply a second thin coat just there whilst you're listening to Countercharge. I'm Ronnie from Mantic Games, and you're listening to Countercharge. Welcome back. So now we're going to take a look at some of the biggest winners, like in terms of factions and list styles, as part of Clash of Kings 2022. And some of this is going to be who we think are absolutely on top now, and then some of some of them will be more of like what's the biggest change, like biggest marginal difference that not necessarily rocketing them to the top of the power tiers, but the most improved. So I know, Tom, you wrote an article just recently for Dash 28 covering some of the biggest winners, and I tend to agree with most of what you covered there. So I'm going to let you talk about that specifically in your when you get a chance to speak. I'm going to talk a little bit more about like the non, not the quite tier one lists, but things, armies that I thought came out ahead just because they weren't much loved in the first two years of version three. So like I think. I think Brother Mark really gained a lot with this Clash of Kings. Like they have a lot of, of new units. They have some of the the penitents are regular and got a price drop. The monster hunters are an amazing foot guard, like elite foot guard unit. Um, Abyssal hunters are still great characters now with like different upgrade options. And then the Order of the Abyssal Hunt is awesome. They have an interesting formation, which is expensive, and it still uses normal Paladin Knights, so it's not great. But having a dragon with Cloak of Death and Brutal is a pretty big deal. I think we just touched on it earlier about how Sylvankin... You're going to see a lot more Sylvankin lists coming up with the new formation and a bunch of like small buffs across... A bunch of units i think they become much more viable and they have a very defined style now so they're different than just bad elves that have a few tree friends i think i really like that how how they've changed the list to be a, a bit more ambush style and then it, they didn't get like a huge number of changes but i think salamanders really gained quite a bit um scorch wings and scorch uh, the the clan lord on, or not the clan lord on the scorching, but the scorching character, they both gained quite a bit. Um, the special, the living legend monster Rakawas is a, an amazing support piece, and there's a couple of other small buffs across the list that I think open up some builds and just make the the army that was already pretty good 
better all across the board. So I think out of the out of the all the armies, I think those ones kind of got the biggest, you know, magnitude of increase. They might not all be top tier, but I think they're all, all much better than they were going into this year. Yeah, so you're you're referencing an article that I just uh, put out for Dash 28, which was my top three biggest uh, winners uh, army army wise, and so uh, you you can read it. But the three of them, the three of them that I chose were Ogres, Twilight Kin, and Green Lady. And and what I like about that list is it highlights kind of different ways that each list got more powerful. So like. Uh, for ogres, I, I think they may come out uh, at the top, or at least the top three in armies that benefited from the inspiring change, from just a, a global rule change that affects different armies differently. Um, and so, like I was saying in the article, if you if you count it up, Trident Realms and Northern Alliance both had six units that were formerly uh conditional inspiring that are now general inspiring so they they obviously benefit a lot but the two units that the ogres uh got the change apply to well actually three the red goblin bigot but but the two the two important ones are the bully and the warlock and i think those two characters just become amazing uh when they can uh inspire all and you don't have to you don't have to compromise um, by taking other characters for inspiring. You can just take the really good ones. And so ogres are an example of a, of a list that really benefits from a global rule change. Um, the twilight kin and, and Jeremy, you can speak to this as someone who's going to be playing them a lot um, and has played them a lot, but I think they are an example of an army that benefited hugely, much like the brother Mark, just from getting more options. And I think that was a problem with a lot of the theme lists. It's not that they couldn't make a really, really good list or two that could compete with, you know, some of the best lists in the game right now. But it was that they they just didn't have many options outside of that one or two lists. And so Twilight Kin got, oh, let's see, the, the Neophyte unit, the the new version of the Glade Stalkers, which is essentially a completely different and new unit. Um, they got a new living legend, and so that's that's an example of just kind of a rework of the army list, making them way better. Yeah, that one feels like almost a completely new army to me. I mean, the issue that Twilight can had before, or one of the key issues that Tom mentions is it was very difficult to build lists if you wanted to have a Twilight Kid list in that you had hardly any unlocks. And what unlocks you did were either vanilla elf units or they were abyssal horseman regiments or, you know, not stuff or, you know, things that maybe were overcosted or whatever the case. So it was very difficult to to build lists. And I mean, I know I'm completely biased because I've been playing them a bunch and I really like them. But I think they're, they're for me, probably one of the, if not the biggest winner in that I think they went from that bottom of the bell curve, you know what I mean, of no one seeing them and no 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 way no by no means are they like a world beater but i think it's a really competitive fun army that you have the neophytes to unlock you have the soul bane on dread fiend who is just 
the uh, such an amazing piece you have in my opinion one of the best living legends in the game so you got a really uh, a lot of tools now where you can make a twilight kin list that can be in that maybe that middle to upper middle of that middle of that bell curve um so they definitely come out for me as one of the most most fundamental like the dna of that army is now completely different than what it was before yeah they, i mean they they're half Night Stalkers, and Night Stalkers have amazing monsters, which Twilight can, couldn't really take because they didn't have a really cheap unlock, like maybe a Scarecrow or or a reasonably priced Horde unlock, uh, which is the two ways that you can really make a, a more monster-heavy style work. And so, yeah, I agree. Um, then the third the third one that I picked was the the Order of the Green Lady, and that's that's just an example of them getting like all the right buffs, no. Uh, no trade-offs like my my OG army Basileans. It's like Alohi get crushing two, which we've been asking for, you know, for for two years. But you got to drop a defense, so there's a catch. Or like the dictator can give all your human units vicious, but it also does damage to it. Um, the green lady, I feel like, it is just pretty much straight straight buffs, no trade-offs, um, no no points increases, uh, no other downsides to the buffs and so i think they they may be the most improved army now i don't think that those those three are necessarily going to become like three power armies they're going to be a lot better Uh, to me the two armies that go from like upper half to this is a serious contender for the you know top army with undead and goblins and rordia is nature and abyssals i think they you know we don't have to go into every change but i think those two got just a ton better and are going to be top tier armies now um yeah so so britain what do you think how do you reconcile that sort of idea of looking at maybe units that have the most changes but is that meaning that they're automatically going to be the new top dogs or or you know talk a little bit usually no yeah right (laughs) Usually they're not. Uh, usually an army doesn't go from sort of, you know, zero to hero. Um, it happens sometimes, but the sort of cautious nature of the RC, which makes sense um, because they only sort of release changes on a yearly basis. It's not a video game where they can, you know, make a change and then patch it uh, three days later when it's when they've figured out it's, it's might touch too powerful. So they're they're a little conservative and that's okay. Um, so oftentimes you're going to get sort of things bumping up kind of a level, like from a bad army to a middle army, from a middle army to a challenger, from a good army to a great army. And what I see overall for like Clash of Kings is if, if the previous V3 meta was shaped like a standard bell curve, that this kind of just shifted that highest point forward. So there's a lot more good armies now than there were. <laughs> And, and a sort of smaller, longer tail of bad armies. But I still think there's sort of an elite level at the top. And we'll, we'll look as we sort of keep talking about what might be challenging for that. You know, I think Abyssals were already good. And, and now they have some really, really disgusting sort of wound, wound removal and passive wound removal. And some of their sort of dead units in the past have been made more than just usable, but like competitive. Um, and that's really important. 
to speak on a couple of the armies you guys have already talked about, um, I think the sort of ogres and the uh, Order of Green Lady is a case of, especially around ogres, actually, is a case of like making good things better. Like ogre warlocks and the the berserker bullies were really good characters to begin with. <laughs> they were super good. And then the inspiring change has just made them even better and unlocked more options in the list. It's sort of good stuff getting better. While some of the other ones, like Brother Mark and some of the others, are are about sort of taking things that weren't good or weren't used and trying to buff them back up to to usable. So I think it's always important to look at an army and say, is there anything that was already good that just basically got better? And that's a great place to look for where something's jumping from a good army to sort of top tier. One army that hasn't been mentioned yet that I think definitely is is a contender for me for being a, a superpower pick coming out of nowhere is the free dwarves. Free dwarves, I feel like in most of V3 have been sort of like a lore pick for people. <laughs> uh, like, I don't want to live under Gullock's thumb. I'm going to be a free dwarf. And, and like some small picks like, yeah, they get Martyr's Prayer and that helps my list. So I'll pick them. But I think post sort of Clash of Kings, Free Dwarves have a really, really powerful identity based around their Pathfinder and Wild Charge. So they're a little faster and they're a lot more terrain resilient. And with that built-in Pathfinder, not from items, they get that ability, much like Order of the Green Lady, to start throwing on combat items because the Pathfinder is sort of inbuilt already. So... Uh, I expect to see some very, very scary free dwarf lists, free dwarf rock riders, especially, uh, I think could be an absolutely terrifying cavalry unit uh, post Clash of Kings. Yeah, the Abyssal one is interesting, I think, when when thinking about most changed lists, because you wonder, where, what are you guys thinking about? Because Abyssals has always been, for me, the best list that no one was playing prior to COC 2022, right? Where when you would ask, who, what's the best list probably out there? That you know, I mean, I know Alex Chavez was playing Abyssals some, and probably a couple other p- players here and there are playing Abyssals, but but it really hadn't been super big on the scene. But now I wonder, with units flying under the radar like that, do they have a chance to become really good? Because the Abyssals has a couple of really nice changes. I think the Cronius is a super boss change. The Well of Souls, you know, going back up higher life leech. What do you think about those those maybe like Cinderella stories, you know, sort of flying under the radar who get changes? Do we have any of those lists that maybe were better than what people thought? And then now with those changes, they might be looking really good. Well, I think with respect to Abyssal specifically, like I think I know around here and I think some people they had they had relatively low defense and they did they're much stronger in a very combined arms fashion. So it's not as easy for people to conceptualize how the army works in in a pure list building sense like it's very much i think an army that benefits practice and making sure that your units are working together very well so i think i think that that put a lot of people off so there's probably a a pretty good steep learning curve with respect to using them very effectively i think one sort of in that like it was a good army, but maybe it was a little underplayed and it got buffs to now make it even scarier. I think Salamanders. Scorchwings are incredible. Um, they're a great unit. 
I feel like they're kind of exactly what salamanders need to, to push them over the top in that they're incredibly maneuverable. They are not expensive. They hit decently hard to the front and like a truck to a flank. Um, but they're still, you know, maneuverable, not too big a points investment and can aid sort of any play style that the salamanders are trying to do, whether it's the big blocks of sort of scary um, infantry and large infantry, or whether it's like Corsair spam um, and that kind of mid range piercing shooting uh, type of list. I think they just make every salamander list potentially better and are a really, really interesting high skill cap unit that I can see being a scary thing to face on the tabletop. Uh, there's one that stands out really clear, clearly um, kind of under the radar, potentially really strong. And that is dwarves. You know, the they have so much defense six, but they had no uh, wound, wound removal, like no heal, uh, no drain life, no radiance of life. And that kind of balanced the defense six um, skew that they could put on the table. But now uh, with some of these, the global spells like Celestial Restoration, which is essentially just a heal spell, um, they have a, a pretty good uh, caster to put on it in the uh, Stone Priest or the, or the Flame Priest. You know, they get a couple characters with uh, Radiance of Life. And so all of a sudden, you have a, an army that's getting access to spells and rules that by design they were not supposed to get access to. And I'm really interested to see how that plays out because I think it could be really powerful. Um, other examples like any list that, like goblins, for example, they they could put out a ton of mincers and mincer mobs that are defense six to the front, but they have no heal. Well, now they do. And so that those type of lists that getting access to things that they never could before through the library or just new options I'm, I'm really interested to see how that plays out yeah so let's let's rift on that so you know we've talked a little bit about some of the armies that have had the most changes right and w- with changes making them better but maybe not you know pushing them to the tier one or s tier and then we've talked a, a couple about a couple lists maybe that were under the radar and maybe were a little bit better than what people thought that got some nice buffs, but where do we think, you know, as we look to the first few events of 2022, uh, what do you guys think as far as, and, and, you know, feel free to, you know, let's touch on armies or, or different types of builds or maybe even play styles. Why don't, you know, we'll, we'll touch on all of them, but why don't we start with maybe just army wise, what armies are we still thinking are good, are, are, are still pretty good. Did that change? Do we have some new arrivals to that list or, what do we think are still some of the, the just top armies? Yeah, so there's there's sort of good news, bad news there. Um, we've been talking about a lot of the good news. Um, the bad news is I still think undead goblins, especially the sort of goblin mixed shooting list, um, probably Northern Alliance, probably Rordia or some others are still the top armies. Um, they either did not receive enough sort of like there wasn't enough other stuff that attacks their weaknesses brought into the meta necessarily. Like I'm thinking of undead, the, the sort of undead list 
of whites and soul reaver infantry and et cetera is still really strong. Um, the goblin list, I think actually got a little better in places. Um, Rorty, I think got potentially better in places. Um, so I think the field has gotten stronger. Um, the meta has been shaken up, uh, but those are still, I, I believe still the top, um, the top that's out there. From an overall sort of perspective, what I find really interesting right now is there's a few different things that I believe are sort of promoting a alpha strike or a focus shooting backed up by alpha strike elements type armies. So when we look at the elf lists, it's, you know, mobile shooting, mobile, you know, wizards casting backed up by sort of Dracons. When we look at Sylvan Can, it's backed up by the Stormwind Cavalry. And I think we're going to keep seeing this sort of push towards really hard hitting, hit them fast, hit them hard. Don't give them a chance to use their Radiance of Life aura, Iron Resolve aura, plus Celestial Restoration, like hit things hard, take them off the board and uh, get them out of there sort of as fast as possible builds early in this sort of meta that it's going to be a really, really sort of high shooting, high speed, high power meta that we're sort of walking into. Um, And that benefits in sort of certain armies and detracts from certain other armies. But that's my kind of bold prediction that could be entirely wrong but that's that's what I'm seeing a push towards. And where are you, Tom, on that? So same question. Maybe rift on a couple of armies where you think they're at, and then like Britain, maybe you know touch base on maybe a couple play styles. So so obviously the biggest what I think the biggest change in this Clash of Kings, um, meta wise is is kind of and we've we've referred to it before as like the wolves are back in Yellowstone type of change. If you look at the type of shooting that was uh, actually in the meta, it was either high piercing war machines, um, some of like the the 36 inch piercing two like shooting troops like sharpshooters or claw shots. Um, there was the 18 inch like flame bear heart piercer type shooting, and then there was mass 12 inch piercing breath like. Uh, Weapons teams for Ratkin or War Trombones for Goblins, you know, taking three of each to kind of create a a, a kill zone um, or not seen as much, but like Decimators. Um, and then the Tom Robinson example of, of Pack Hunters with Javelins, which is, again, a 12-inch piercing attack. Um, ice Elementals are similar, although their attack was is 10 inches, but it's the same idea of like mass piercing, short-range shooting. And so that's kind of what we were seeing. Um, the hole in that was the 24-inch uh, bow bow shot like shooting, and that is going to come back uh, in force with these changes to particularly all the different glade stalker variants, um, and to a lesser extent the changes to uh, Sea Guard and and the Kindred Archers. I think that that's that's going to be the biggest meta change. Just there's going to be more 24 inch shooting, and I I think that that actually is really positive. And that might be like a a hot take, but 
there's a couple of reasons for, the, for why I think that. One, it, it provides a counter to the like 18 inch flame bear shooting. Um, for example, like the Icekin hunters in uh, Northern Alliance, they can shoot a flame bearer regiment at 24 inches, freeze it, and then it can't actually shoot back because it's only now um, speed five, 18 inches. So it's 23 inches away, e- even if it moves its full five inches. So I think one change is that those 18-inch shooting lists are going to have a really hard time with the sort of reintroduction of these uh, elven-type bow units. And that's not a bad thing because they were already really powerful, so knocking them down a little bit is good. Another thing that 24-inch shooting counters really well is undead, uh, particularly the type of undead list that I like to run, which is slower hammers, you know, whites, and uh, solar infantry. If you if you math it out, or you know, they can't actually charge into the enemy deployment zone until turn three if you don't move forward. And so that's that's a problem. And I think the weird thing with undead is they're almost exactly the same as they were in second edition when no one was really complaining about them. And then everybody started complaining about them in third. And I think one big reason why is because one of their predators, so to speak, disappeared, which is the 24-inch the elven shooting. And so that gives that undead style a, a ton of problems. Um, again, which is good because it's one of the most powerful armies. And so kind of <laughs> I forgot what the original question was, but but that is the the change that I think is going to be uh, most noticeable and also the most healthy for the meta overall. Sorry, I think it ahead. opens up a really interesting secondary, like, I, I know at least I tend to think of shooting against non-shooting, right? How does my shooting affect the combat army coming against me? But the, the fact of the matter is, as more shooting gets into the meta, you're going to have a lot more shooting versus shooting matchups happen. And that's where you get into the really interesting interplay between you know, you have 24-inch bow shooting, which is terrible against certain types of combat armies, but, like, Sylvankin's scouting stealthy glade stalkers are basically built to take out heart piercers, flame bearers, <laughs> other stuff. Like, they'll they'll shoot them off the board, and when they try and shoot back at them, they won't hit anything in cover because they've scouted up into it, and they're stealthy, etc. So you get these really interesting sort of shooting versus shooting dynamics, what actually is the best elf list to to fight in the sort of elf battle royale between Twilight Kin, Sylvan Kin, Elf Elf Classic, etc. And I find that will be hopefully a very interesting and varied meta of people trying different things. And I hope it doesn't consolidate into like one version of the best shooting list too quickly, because um, that would be sad. <laughs> and then you get the you know, the counter counterplay where people are like worried about elf shooting and then they're going to start adding in, you know, stealthy units or, you know, trying to maximize veil of shadows. And I know like I'm thinking, you know, with respect to like foot guard and stuff like that, do you go to defense four now that there's more shooting out there? You're like, no, you're going to probably stay at defense five. And then if you can bring more defense six, you probably will. So then there's going to be an increase in stealthy or, defense six or high defense units and then so i think there's that like 
Tom was saying, a healthy, it creates a more healthy ecosystem where there's going to be more thing, more problems that you have to think about when you're building a list. I, I think it is important. I really like the, the you know wolves back in the Yellowstone um, because there were certain armies that were unlocked and free to do what they wanted without 24 inch elf shooting being in the meta. And I, we don't, we'll see how bad that is, right? Like right now I'm sort of excited about the change, but I am a little scared that it's going to be like our RIP defense four units that don't have some kind of shooting mitigation built in, um, that there's, there's going to be certain units that just can't hit the tabletop because when they run into that elf list, they're just first thing off and you've invested too much in them to have them just go away like that. So we'll see, but it'll be interesting. We got a bunch of great questions from the audience and some of the ones that were coming up a lot. And I think one of them would fit real good here. And I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say, which is, you know, people are trying to suss out which of the legendary spells are the bomb spells, you know, how big of a effect are they going to have? Or is a one legendary spell going to affect the meta? And, you know, and we're going to touch base on a couple of them, but let's talk about Veil of Shadows now since we are talking about shooting. I mean, what do you guys think? Uh, are we going to be seeing more Veil of Shadows? I know we were talking a little bit offline that maybe Veil of Shadows might even push you to either not taking any shooting or if, if you are going to take shooting, take a ton of shooting. I mean, I still think Combined Arms is a much improved playstyle. but what do you guys think about with this more shooting of Veil of Shadows? Are we going to see it in a lot of lists or what do you guys think? I think it's it's a tough one, and this is what we were sort of talking about offline, which is um, I feel like the rules committee felt safer in allowing a lot of this shooting back into the meta because they were also sort of allowing a sort of global access to stealth, um, to a to a stealthy aura. Um, and then there's a few other sort of units that are that are popping out and getting stealthy. Um, you know, ogres have the boomer chariot stealthy aura. Um, there's a stealthy aura on Twilight Kin. It's sort of popping up more places than just like the old Empire of Dust Mortibus character. So I think they felt sort of safe in ramping up the shooting because if it gets too bad, then then Veil of Shadows just starts coming back into the meta and and tamps it down. I do think there could be an unintended consequence there, which is if you are investing some five, 600 points of your list into, you know, certain types of shooting or sometimes even more, um, and you're expecting a certain return on that. And you know that there are people out there bringing stealthy auras to shut down a portion of that shooting. You're sort of faced with a choice of, you know, either letting that happen and letting your chunk of points be far less effective or in essence, doubling down, investing a few hundred more points into it, um, maybe just one extra unit, two extra units, an extra unit and a wizard, whatever it needs to be, to uh, sh- shoot through that veil <laughs> or uh, shooting mitigation and still have it be that high contributing part of your army. Sort of you're already committed, so just commit a little more and get full effectiveness out of it. Um, or just dropping shooting entirely because and and making whatever point someone spent on stealthy, you know, dead points. Um, so while I think it was put in to be a sort of insurance policy and keep shooting from being super like dominant in the meta, it I don't know that this is going to happen, but my fear is that it's actually going to sort of force 
shooty list to be even more shooty. It's going to have like the opposite effect where people just go all in uh, with a bunch of their points on on shooting in order to just bust right through that that veil of shadows instead of it keeping it out of the meta. Well, I think also it's just going to increase the value of all those mobile shooting units like Glade Stalkers, you know, and even back to flame bears and heart piercers and warlocks and unicorns and things that could get around like unicorns are lightning bolts. They don't care about stealth, but things that can get around the bubble. Like if there's a bubble of stealth, well, it's not going to cover the entire army. So being having a unit that can actually position it, reposition itself to target what isn't in the bubble will be even more important. And I think, so again, that just plays into the fact that, all those Glade Stalker units that got much better are going to be even more important as a, and in addition to like Heart Piercers and Flame Bearers already being good and their strength being even more of a strength. Yeah, I think it I think it helps prevent classic gun lines, like static gun lines, but I don't think it's actually helping prevent the type of shooting that's gonna be really popular out of this pack. Yeah, and what it leads to is like what everybody hates the most, which is allies. <laughs> so things like Ratkin allying in a, a, a war trombone and a bang it to get shattering and just a little bit of extra, you know, another uh, 12-inch war engine, or uh, goblins allying in heart piercers from nature just to get a little bit of extra shooting, um, or elves allying in heart piercers. I think there's a difference between a list that takes a little bit of shooting for, for tactical reasons. Uh, Cause even, you know, just a couple lightning bolts will force your opponents to do things like start their trap behind their units instead of just putting them in front and running it up. Um, you know, that's, that's different than a list that says shooting is how I'm going to kill units. And if you don't think you're going to be able to kill units um, with the shooting that you're investing in, then, you're probably just going to, like you're saying, Britain over-invest. Um, I saw, I've already seen some of this in like very local, local metas like um, Dustin Howard versus uh, Stephen Hasnick. They play all the time. Dustin has been taking uh, forces of nature with Veil Shadows 3 with the, the Sacred Horn. So he has like a massive nine inch stealthy bubble that he puts all of his defense six monsters and other defense six units in. And Steven has been playing a, a pretty shooty Ratkin list. And he was just like, if this is what I'm going to play against, I'm either going to drop the shooting completely or I'm going, you know, all in gun line, <laughs> which, uh, you know, is the worst type of list to play against. And so I think it could have an un- unintended effect, but it's only, mostly units getting or or i'm sorry armies getting access to the spell once i think that's okay because you can only cover so many units unless you're dustin and you pack you know 80 percent of your army into 12 inches on the board um what i am wary about and don't like as much is armies that can basically be night stalkers now and cover their entire army in stealth like ogres with the boomer chariots um, twilight can Twilight Kin, who have the, the the living legend unit that has a stealthy aura, but can also take Veil of Shadows on uh, a summoner crone, plus you know Night Stalker units that have stealthy already, and so I think those those type of armies are not a good thing. 
but I don't mind, you know, game wide access to Veil of Shadows. Now, do you think that let's say hypothesis A happens, right, where people decide to go full on hog shooting, which is if I'm going to invest points, I'm going to go the full bang because everyone has stealthy. What do you guys think of the two other legendary spells? I mean, we are getting more access, and I think these are overlooked sometimes, right? Because everyone's looking at the offensive. We are getting two new healing spells. I mean, do you think either the Barkskin or Celestial Radiance, is that something that maybe could come in to help armies deal with that early turn shooting? Or where do you guys see the role of the two new heal spells that we have? I don't I don't think Barkskin is that useful against shooting for the reason that your opponent knows which unit it's on and it can just shoot a different one. <laughs> um, it's a really good spell. I I think it might be the best new spell. Everybody's worried about Scorched Earth, but I think Barkskin might be the big hit um, because yeah, it's great to buff like trash hordes or zombie legions or, or things like that but what i'm curious about is how it can really screw up like standard chaff removal strategies so like most chaff like takes no foxes for example they're either the best or second best chaff in the game in their defense too if you have a wizard like an ice queen um put bark skin on that unit after you've run it in front of your opponent's hammer Usually they're just going to wipe that out, no problem. Then next turn, you know, you've bought yourself a turn. But Barkskin can make that chaff unit, 80-point chaff unit, stick for two turns. I mean, which is a huge advantage. And so um, I could talk about some of the other ones after you guys kind of give your thoughts. But I think the best new spell probably is is Barkskin. I was just going to say, I think Barkskin is great. And like, like you said, with chaff. And then also just... With the berserker type units, like you have a lot of defense three units that you just don't necessarily want to take these days. And if you if you build around it and you want to have them, you know, giving in an extra four or five damage to to chew through before they actually start taking anything can be pretty huge. Yeah. So the way I sort of look at Barkskin, I I also think it can be incredibly strong if used correctly. It's free nerve, basically. And if you look at how important like Brutal is or Brutal 2, like how much Brutal 2 or Dread plus, plus Brutal or whatever can swing a combat um, just by that like one or two points, being able to add one, two, three, four points to a unit can really, really mess up the math um, for how likely it is to break them, especially if inspired. Uh, I'm with Tom where like in Chaff versus Chaff strategies – it's it's stupidly good, <laughs> you know, getting it on a on a low cost uh, unit, giving it three extra nerve, like try and shift title swarms with three extra nerve <laughs> like they're already so hard to get rid of. Um, you already have to commit sort of real units to some of these things. And the fact that they can potentially live through that just makes them so much scarier. And then if you do cast it on the higher defense things. I know it's a lot harder to get those extra, but they can, especially if you spike a roll or get lucky, they can be incredibly, stupidly powerful. Um, Rev Cav <laughs> with two extra, you know, damage on them. 
like Revcavit effectively dash 16 for a turn, chaffing things up is just stupid. So I really like Barkskin as well. And my, my theory on the other ones is sort of like um, my theory with Phalanx, which is it's an, it's an okay rule, uh, but it really needs to be combined with something else to really be effective. So like Phalanx needs to be uh, combined with Ensnare or Defense 5 to really be uh, something to be worried about for your opponent. The same thing to me is, is true with, most of these new spells like scorched earth is maybe good just generally but i think the list that i would take it in is where you can combine it with ensnare so like trident realms running it on a, a pegasus wizard in rordia where you have dogs of war you know defense five and snare unit now you're also uh, scorched earth is really annoying wither and perish i think that it, you take that pretty much only if you're going to go like hyper grind um you know with a bunch of monsters defense five defense six heal um it really is you know not every army has access to weakness um that can do grind builds and so for those armies wither and perish is going to be a, a good option um like i was saying earlier celestial restoration with armies that don't have access to heal but have defense six or big shield units is really good and host shadow beast i think you only take it if you already have strong individuals otherwise i don't i don't think they're general purpose enough to get value out of unless you're combining it with like something extra so at least that's my current theory we'll see how that plays yeah, see, out my sense on the legendary spells is that there is a legendary spell that is almost like really good for every army, but it's not the same one, right? Where I think most army builds have one of the legendary spells that probably would work really well within that uh, particular build, but there really isn't one legendary spell I can think of, maybe depending on what you're playing against. A stealthy, if you're playing in a super shooting meta, maybe you want to have that in every list, but I mean, the legendary spells to me seem like all of them are good, but just in different ways, which again speaks to that that's probably good for balance in game design. Yeah, they're just like that extra little seasoning at the end to your army. They're you know there's nothing that that's gonna like be def- like list defining. You know, but they they can help certain push certain lists like from an A to an A plus or a, or a B plus to an A A kind of thing. So the the interesting thing around Scorched Earth is, um, and this is part of my thought around like Alpha Strike or like focused hit hard lists that sort of hit all at one time being more powerful um, in this new meta, is that one, um, they put uh, Scorched Earth into the game and then they also improved a bunch of the different knight <laughs> and or flying kind of hammer units ability to fight through scorched earth like if you had previously been able to automatically hinder an order of the green lady knight unit it was basically done for now their redemption knights and their flying knights have built-in crushing as well as thunderous um which allows them to fight through a hindered charge much much better than previously so they sort of built in some of the own the own the own ways to get through a hindered charge back into the pack. And I think something really interesting is you're, you're really only going to be casting on one unit. 
it's most effective when an army is set up to deliver a small number of really powerful units that then kill what they're facing and are protected from sort of being counterattacked. Um, so you're able to sort of stop that strategy. But when an army is facing you with like four or five charges from all sort of hammers or, or mini hammers, sure, like you can scorch earth one of them, but it has the sort of speed, like alpha strike lists usually have the ability to fight through one of those hindered situations and hit you in so many places that your your response can't deal with it. So I think it's it's a really interesting spell. I think it stops certain sort of mega hammer strategies or helps prevent them. But I actually think it pushes towards a more alpha gameplay because you're going to need multiple things to fight through. Like if you're only counting on one unit to sort of chew through, then it's the easy scorcher target. If you hit a go button and your entire army is charging, one of them being hindered is is not the thing that's going to break you. So it's, it's, it's know, a really interesting It's the one. full gun line. It's the full gun line versus Veil of Shadows argument all over again. Like, yeah, it, it'll help sometimes, but it might force people to skew even harder to the way that they're skewing. And and to bring sort of support pieces, right? Like, you you hinder my uh, cool cavalry unit, but I'm sending in Beasts of Nature along with it to sort of make up for that. Like, you're no longer counting on that, like, mega thing to break them. You know, your solo Soul Reaver infantry charge is going to be in a lot more trouble. So you're going to bring along like the helpers. The the and there's a lot of helpers built into this pack. Um, there's a lot of sort right. of mini dragons <laughs> floating around that really just want to add back in that damage uh, from a hindered alpha striking list. And we're always going to have those lists, I think, that have that are like. I almost think of them as like sort of inertia based. Like once they have enough of a thing, that thing then becomes the thing. I mean, you know, and we talk about them in skew lists too, right? But I think that like that thing is all is still going to be there. Like, I mean, in my mind, a perfect example of that are Alohi. You know, they can go to defense four now, pick up a crushing strength, which is kind of sweet, interesting in the uh, both the regiment and the horde. But I still think that they probably don't become a great unit until you take like a full army of them with Julius, etc. So I still think we still we're still going to see that right in this list in in this meta. I imagine is we'll still see we'll still see skew, right? Even though there's more variety and more things to pick, I imagine people are still going to be picking within overall army strategies, which still sometimes skew towards. A certain gameplay aspect yeah i think we're just gonna have more types of skew or slightly slight, slightly more variety of skews and can you ever truly eliminate skew out of a a game that has an inherent like intrinsic like people make that value the a is better than b you well, know what i, I think, mean can you I ever think people use the word it? skew negatively and it's just really just like it's about choosing a, a strength and a play, a play style, style and 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 going at it like it's not skew is thrown around as an as a insult but i think it's just that's just smart list design generally because you're just focusing your your efforts in a general direction are you just saying that because tom's here you're buttering up the, the, the spam master <laughs> no, no, the I, show. I, i'm just saying that for uh, uh steve hilger out there because i don't know he <laughs> 
<laughs> he loves a good spam. I was just going to say that um, what I do think multiple skew lists in the meta tends to encourage a rock, paper, scissors style gameplay um, in which you have. And again, Kings is a pretty balanced game, even with the skew armies. It's not a foregone conclusion when you get to the table, but you start running into like my list is strong against this type of other skew. So when I face that, I have an upper hand. But when I face my, you know, counter, you know, like my alpha strike is really strong against mid-range shooting because by the time they're in range for it, I'm I'm charging their entire army and they can't respond. And then it's like, but I have to deal with trash lists because trash lists just don't care about my alpha strike. They I have all these really high speed, high crushing attacks that are wasted and they just own the entire board. So I have nowhere to maneuver. And you kind of like really loose example, you you run into by running a skew list, you're sort of opting into easier matches some of the time and then harder matches when you run into your supposed counter. Um, and when you have multiple different types of skew running around, then it just becomes even more of that sort of rock, paper, scissors uh, in each matchup. See, I, I don't actually think that, that it's that big of, a, of an issue because a, a good list, a good like tournament-winning list, is going to have answers for all but maybe one type of skew. And so if someone's like really skews, like takes all shooting or something, you're you're gonna be a lot you're you're gonna be vulnerable and you're you're not gonna do as well as if you give up some of that skew to build in uh, counters. And so I, I I don't know, I think we're already there. I don't know if this this clash pack necessarily increases the skew, but you know, I I just think it gives it gives it puts more armies back into the meta who can do uh, similar skews as others. Like it makes Green Lady a seriously powerful Alpha Strike list, um, but we already had you know Alpha Strike Basileans or Alpha Strike Herd uh, or Varenger, um, which is a really similar list. You know Riftforge Orcs, they're essentially Varenger Orcs. Um, you know can be played Alpha Strike E without uh any heal which is very similar to varinkers so i I don't know i i i don't see the rock paper scissors as that much of a problem um but yeah i wasn't representing it as a problem just a um like a a way that the it pans out um yeah and i don't think everyone skewed oh sorry if everyone it's sort of like if everyone is running the sort of same general combined arms right let's just say you know, like you have a solid center and one fast wing and then a shooty delay side. I'm not saying that's the best way to do things. I'm just describing like a general archetype. If everyone has that, like everyone in the tournament is running that, then the rock, paper, scissors is just much smaller. It's like, okay, you have two shooting units and I only have one. So that changes the dynamic of our game significantly. Like the, the, the sort of changes are really small, but have big differences. Um, when you have a more skew list based meta, again, not a bad thing. There's no judgment against that. I am making just a sort of facet is that those differences in the army play style are more to the like foreground. I don't think it's necessarily a healthier or less healthy way. The game can be, it's just becomes more obvious what those differences are um, between the different types of lists. I think to your point, like there are levels to skew, right? Like it's like a skew is relative to your 
meta to go yes. back to our overall discussion. So like you can have and Kings is a very balanced game. We keep saying that. It's like so skews seem bigger than they really are. Like it's not like no one's lining up, you know, eight hordes of bowmen and just sitting on their back line. So like it's like you're still a skew list is still <laughs> top, only <laughs> top ten at Masters, right? Jason Britt. Yeah. <laughs> he he only had like four or five and he had he had two regiments of knights and you he, know winged generals. Yeah. So don't you notice like, that's always the first thing people say about his list? He had two regiments of knights, though. It's I a like good that. list. That's funny. But, <laughs> but it's it's not it's not all shooting, right? It, it, he has contingency plans. He has ways to yes. deal with uh, in things in melee. Like it's not it's a, it's as about as skewy as you get in Kings of War, but it still has it still kills things in hand. Twenty twenty percent of the points are knights, so it's totally kosher. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, and I mean, there, there's no shade being thrown there. I think that's actually a really interesting Kingdoms of Men list. But yeah, so, so I think do you that's guys, about as skewy as it gets, and it's it's still not 100% shooting. So one of the stated goals of this pack, right, was to not necessarily push the the repeat offenders down, but instead bring those that needed a little help up. So I'm curious, sort of looking at this this idea of is the game more balanced or is there more options? So I'm kind of curious is one, are we going to see more variety and is that going to be more variety in play style or because as to kind of what Britain is saying, are we still going to see more variety, but instead of play style, it's, we may see some more, you know, different people who can do alpha strikes or, or maybe there's some more people who can now do a shooting list or do you still think the lists are going to be around those, those same core play styles, but maybe just more people have a seat at the table or do you think we're going to see completely different play styles or what do you guys think there as far as the sort of rebalancing of the game? I think it's probably the former. Um, to me, I, I think there's sort of like a Holy Trinity in Kings award no matter what version of the game. And that's like shooting speed slash alpha strike and grind, which can be, you know, defense six or ensnare grind, or I almost put trash sort of skew in, into the grind in that you don't really care about getting hit first. Cause you have so many units. Um, and, and lists are kind of can be either a pure version of those three or most often a, a some combination of, of two or three or all three. And so I don't think there's like a completely new play style that was created um, from this cock pack. I just think it's going to get more different armies onto the table, even if they're doing similar things um, in a slightly different way or, or, you know, for example, combining speed with, with grind or, you know, speed with shooting. Um, but although both rely on speed to it's sort of like their main strategy. So um, I just think the biggest difference is going to be more play style wise, more, more armies on the table. Yeah. I think there's a lot more armies that are viable for people who are very competitive. And then just those armies, like we were saying earlier, that had very few viable builds, they, have multiple builds now or they do their few things better and 
yeah, to Tom Tom's point, it's like you get something like an abyssal army that's going to focus on grind with all their new wound wound recovery, but it's like it's a weird defense for grind army, right? So you have a different take on it as opposed to you know a Dustin Howard defense six wall of fearless things. So I think just there's going to be more variety. I think maybe somewhere in this next year, like in the next like four or five months, someone's going to come up with a slightly different wrinkle on it. But I think it's just more variety of armies doing things slightly differently. But that's going to be exciting too, because the last two years have been a lot of the same armies doing the same things. A few sort of like larger sort of takes on it. Um, and I could be totally wrong about this in a few months, a few days, a few weeks. Uh, for much like the stock market, like forward-looking statements should be <laughs> really heavily taken with a grain of salt. But I believe that, one, this Clash of Kings pack has done a really good job of bumping a lot of sort of bad armies back up into competitive and competitive armies up into challengers. And the, the net result of that should hopefully be more army variety at your local GTs that basically anyone who wants to play a army because they like the models, they like the play style, they like the lore, they have it sitting in a cabinet and they want to bring it out, whatever that is, that those are all much more viable. So there's a lot more viable armies, which I hope leads to an increase in sort of variety at events. The second one is that I believe certain army play styles will be uh, suppressed by the sort of I so fundamentally I think there will be an increase in shooting in the meta, um, whether that's through spells, through bow shooting, through this sort of mid-range uh, piercing shooting, through whatever. That there will be a general increase in the amount of shooting that is in most armies, and that will be a heavier shooting meta out there, uh, which will suppress certain types of units and certain types of play styles. Um, if we look at, like, I liked Tom's sort of big three of, of sort of speed uh, or grind um, shooting and sort of speed or like ability to alpha, um, whatever form that takes. I think that certain combinations of lists that were good in V3 before this pack um, will be sort of at a huge disadvantage in this higher shooting meta. So if you are slow and grindy, but not high defense, I think you're going to have trouble. <laughs> um, if you are fast, but like low defense and not fast enough, and you don't have your own shooting, I think you might be in trouble. Um, I think there's a couple a few play styles that will have to sort of take a break <laughs> except for their like really hardened proponents that only want to play that style. But I think there'll be a number of new ones that get promoted back that have kind of been lesser seen in the V3 meta so far. So I think it's going to be a really interesting time to see that shake out um, and see what some of the sort of talented list designers in the community can kind of come up with to, to crack that. Uh, but my general thoughts are more builds, more shooting, and then, again, like it's a very unfriendly place for certain builds that could exist in V3 that will have to take a backseat in Clash 2022 land. 
You know, I like this. I like a saying. I often say I know enough to know I have no idea about many <laughs> things in my life. You know, so we've talked a little bit about the things that we sort of like can, I think, agree on that we feel like, you know, like I said in the beginning, we're on our bus and we look out the window and we see the Grand Canyon and we can all agree that that's pretty, you know, cool and unique. Is there anything in the pack that you you think might be good or that you're on the fence about or you're curious? One that jumps up to me, I love the idea of the gnome glass shield on like defense for assassin characters are the vampire on foot who goes to crushing three to get, yep. you know, I think, I just love, I think there's something cool there, but is there anything like that that sticks out in your head that you think that might be good, but we're just, it's just like a, a dart at the dartboard right now. Um, for me, keeping on the theme of magic item is the skirmishers boots. Um, it's a 10 point item that can only be used on troops, but gives them nimble. Um, and, it's something like you would never ever put the wine of elven kind on any sort of troop because the like cost of the item is just way too high. But a 10 point item to give nimble. And I tried to look through the book for some like good targets for it. And I sort of came down to like cavalry troops. Like there's some interesting cavalry troops that for 10 points, making them nimble seems pretty good like it's nothing game breaking it just seems like you could get some really tricky charges off and some really good stuff out of them um berserker type units like the varinger reavers <laughs> like one troop of varinger reavers with nimble to like get around chaff and get around charge blocks and stuff seemed really cool or a, a weirdly spicy one was revenant cav like a revenant cav troop suddenly being nimble um, and being able to like double pivot, move, and then surge to pretty much charge almost anywhere at once. Like it could turn 180, move eight inches, and then surge. So it it seemed like a really fun for just 10 points. It's not going to break the game, but you can get some really interesting sort of utility out of some different troops that you wouldn't normally think of by by giving them nimble. I think a really big a good one is, is, is uh something like um tunnel runners or minster robs troops because they're square with nimble yep. and you get some really funky charges that way yeah and and that's one of those it like i think they balanced it well because it's troops only so you can't sneak it on to like large cav or large infantry that just come in the regiments but that's a good call out that like chariot bases um, can still come in troops. <laughs> um, so you can get some really sort of scary, fun, super maneuverable little balls of, of chaos out of that for, for 10 points, like whatever. <laughs> so, Yeah, I think for me, and I, some some of you can go on Dash 28 if you want to watch me suffer on uh, UB playing Rift Forge Orcs, but I, I really like the idea of the Rift Forger. I'm not certain <laughs> storm strike and shot host shadow beast are really all that great but i i just i love the idea of a three attack character being on his own being able to generate like 12 attacks <laughs> in, in, in when he needs to i think investing in host shadow beast on him, on the rift forger itself is probably not worth it but with the shrine casting it on it you can i think i i put seven or seven damage on a an air elemental regiment or horde 
with just one Rift Forger in one instance, which was kind of fun. But other times I missed all three attacks. So it it kind of goes back and forth. But I think being able to get Blast 2 on your sixes to hit, it just makes a three attack character a lot of fun. So I, I think there's I think there's something there. Like they're good on, on their own, but Stormstrike just makes them a little bit more fun. Uh, for me, I, I'm going to go a little bit a little bit bigger, but the biggest question, or one of the biggest questions for me in this in this Clash of Kings pack is like, what what is Slayer and Rampage going to do to the game? Because I I love both of those rules. They both feel in the vein of the Wild Charge rule, which is you know just something to make Kings of War not so sure of a game uh if that makes sense you know uh especially like d3 wild charge you can respect it and just give them the full potential three inches but you can't always do that and it leads to interesting decisions in the same way you know rampage and slayer mess with the the typical math uh for for the units that they're on and you know maybe that giant's gonna hit hit a six and just roll through your 250 point large infantry horde so i think it makes the game really more dynamic and uh not so like math hammery which i'm all in favor of and so that's that's like the biggest question for me and and the biggest the one of the things i'm going to be excited to see play out is how big of an effect that those two new special rules are going to have yeah that giant can just just walk up and and babe ruth a dragon out off the battlefield just big swing or the mammoth with an extra that reminds me there's a guy in our local meta who has a triple giant army and he actually used like i don't know like they're like 10 inch 12 inch tall like baseball um like models or like i don't know i guess they're not miniatures but they're like action figures but they're baseball players and he like converted them all up and there's one that, like that's successful fielder or something like that with a baseball bat that he like converted <laughs> like into the, this uh, giant with a club i know todd mcfarland did like high-end action figures based on yeah. baseball players yeah uh, i think they, that's that might have been what they were it's hilarious he brought he brought them to the first king beyond the wall as the triple giant ogre list and it was just like you look at the poses and they look like baseball poses but it, he's like converted them to have like clubs and stuff so it, it, it actually is hilarious you know host shadow beast is another one for me a lot of the chatter around host shadow beast reminds me of lady alona teleporting behind your lines where it's like is it good yes but i hear a lot of people like well if i have it and then i cast it on this guy in this situation and i roll my max dice this guy's gonna have 20 30 billion attacks against this that i mean what are your guys thoughts on on that probably good but i don't think it's seems like a lot of effort to get the max result out of it yeah i think I think for armies that have it sort of built in or or cheap, um, sort of like Barkskin, it's just something that can change the math and sort of guarantee things. So like your, you were saying with the Rift Forger, it, yeah, it's great for him to get 12 hits. But more importantly, it's like he has three attacks. That's not necessarily going to ground a dragon, but like five attacks, now we're talking... Like now we're into pretty, you know, not guaranteed, nothing's guaranteed in Kings, but the, the math changes heavily on like, can you ground that dragon? Can you disorder that knight uh, regiment? Can you do this other thing? Like it shifts those sort of low attack heroes 
up into really, really consistent zone, and it shifts the higher attack heroes into sort of potentially bonkers. So I think if you're not paying or investing too much in it, I'm mainly looking at like Rift Forge Orcs, which you're going to have host Shadow Beast because it comes with the, the shrine, which you will be taking. Um, it's it's a fun thing that I think really will help make characters more consistent in the jobs they need to do. But you're, I don't really see it as the like Mikhail 19 attacks, like break a unit on its own happening that often another uh question sort of i have is how good is the halfling list <laughs> like <laughs> I, I have no idea which is why they're going to be my next army uh, because i feel like i've i've figured a lot out about kings of war but i've definitely not figured out halflings and i'm really going to enjoy uh playing them and trying to to come up with lists that work for them because i I really have no idea what if they're good, how they can be good, um, you know, what effect them being on the table is going to have on other armies. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, but that's it's not a clash change necessarily. I mean, it, it kind of is, but it's a new army. It's totally a clash change. Yeah, they're kind <laughs> of like the the night stock the night stalkers of third edition, right? Like people, they're an unknown quantity. Like they have there's no there's no halfling archetype other than like you know they like to eat. And they have bows, right? These ones don't even have that. They have guns. So, like, I think I think there's very little expectation of how the army should work. So no one really knows how it is going to work, right? I think right. they're not, they're not a theme list, so it's not like oh, well, Rift Forge orcs are orcs, but you know, more alpha or whatever. It's just they don't really have a a precedent necessarily. Yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. the. I think it's really interesting because there's a huge amount of attention on them for like a short while while the beta list got published and the thing was coming out and they were allowed into Clash of Kings in the UK. So there was all this sort of various talk about the different builds and what's actually good and not. And then sort of Clash of Kings actually released and I feel like everyone forgot about Halflings for a minute. It was sort of like, there's Reforged Orcs and look, my army got this and that and new spells and whatever. And and they've sort of been forgotten for a minute. Um, but I do, yeah, I don't know what their best army is. I, I feel like it's combined arms, but that's a really sort of loose cop-out. Um, but I, I feel like there's a lot of stuff in it that is sort of deceptively scary. <laughs> um, there's a lot of movement ability, but it's not super fast, but it's, you know, they they don't hit super hard, but yeah, I think, like you said, like combined arms, because I think there's nothing that they do exceptionally, right? But they do things kind of strangely, and like with a lot more nimble and movement shenanigans. Yeah, and that's that's the tricky part, right? Um, right. They're short, but the units that need it are fast and nimble, and and a little scary. Like Halfling Knights are a scary unit. Um, yeah. You know, they they slot right into the Rordia list. <laughs> oh, I, well. I'm well aware. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I really don't know. Like I have to sort of plead a little bit of ignorance because I had no interest in making a halfling army. I've sort of ignored them, and I'm just waiting for like Northern Kings or Dojo or someone to break them, and then I'll I'll know how good they are. <laughs> um, since I'm not personally gonna 
play them. I've sort of been like focusing more on Rift Orcs and my like, what's a new army I have to learn side of things. Um, so yeah, I'll be I'll be interested to see what the halfling meta list or list sort of shakes out to be, um, and see what the kind of hive mind comes up with. Yeah, I, I spent a bunch of playtesting, uh, <laughs> like showing why forest troll gunners should be nerfed or aeronauts should be nerfed, and then you know was listened to among others, and then I bought a bunch of those models. So <laughs> <laughs> I think another thing that's interesting around the like. I don't know how this is going to shake out. It's the sort of like how much hex will there actually be in this meta? Um, there's been a sort of rumored hex apocalypse, like hex meta coming each time they make a small change to hex. And it's a question this time is like, it feels like a really spell heavy meta right now. It feels like a lot of people are going to be counting on certain spells. We talked about veil of shadows. We talked about, um the sort of scorched earth some of the healing like it just feels like there's a lot of strategies that sort of revolve around some amount of spell casting um and we haven't even talked about the sort of rift forged orcs shrine which is the most hexable unit in the game are are we going to finally see the sort of like often rumored never seen like hex meta where hex is all over the place and counter hex and Trickster's wanding the other person's Trickster's wand, and all of that so is actually taking hex, place. If you hex the shrine, and you cast bait yeah. chant like five times, yeah. it is this like <laughs> ultimate glory where you bait chanted five of your units, but your shrine has like twenty three damage. There's a, a storm caller on the shrine, just like pouring gasoline all over himself in the shrine, like lighting matches and stuff like that. And like, Witness me. Yeah, um, I think I think I think definitely. The first three months or four months, I think people are going to start shoehorning, or they're going to try and shoehorn too many spells into their lists. I just, that's just a prediction I have. And in that meta, hex might actually be pretty beneficial because people are going to be forcing the spells into their lists and they're going to be forcing themselves to use them in play. I think this is more of a psychological thing than an actual like power of game gameplay kind of angle but i think there's going to be some temptation to do that so i think taking hex I, hex two really i don't know i hate i hate two dice spells so if you take hex three do it because hex two sucks but um unless you get a reroll, i think there's gonna be a little bit of that i think and then i think sometime around march or april when there's a, more events under people's belts people will start to figure out that they can't fit all the legendary spells and not all of them are going to work well with their army, or they're going to be very situational and annoying to rely on, and there will be fewer of them in most lists. Yeah, see, here, here's my, my take on Hex, is the reason that I think we'll, we'll see more of it is because it can work on Spellcaster Zero units now, which is actually just gives it a huge amount of targets. Um, that you really want to hex, you know, trying to hex small spellcasters that can be hidden behind, you know, monsters and titans, is kind of a fool's game, especially if you don't have any shooting to back it up. Um, but if you have like a single point of failure, so to speak, in like your opponent's unit network or whatever, like that's a really bad 
valuable hex target like the, sh- the shrine or um you know uh, an abyssal fiend or uh, a frost giant uh, the monolith like what is empire and what's empire gift that's going to do when you hex this monolith <laughs> like that's going to be bad news uh, or soul snare or the soul snare exactly or mind screeches which is like the obvious example um and so i think you're gonna see a lot more people using those last 15 points instead of like blade of slashing blade of crushing uh, mace of crushing and and healing brew or something they're just gonna throw hex on a unit um and i think that's okay because you're gonna have enough big targets that you're gonna get use out of it i don't think hex is like an anti-spell strategy is really going to be that successful. Um, I'd only take it in that instance if you have other shooting that can then go and tap something um, that you've hexed to, to actually present a threat and a downside to getting hexed. So um, that's kind of my theory. Yeah, there's always that question around sort of turning potentially turning off someone else's ability to cast or punishing them for casting versus just doing your own powerful spells. Um, there's always that sort of trade-off where you, it really needs to be worth it uh, or on a cheap enough caster that kind of doesn't have anything else to do. Sort of if you have a surge caster, you know, it can hex in the early rounds. If you have a, a healing drain life caster, it can hex in like the early round to shut off a mind screech. It's sort of an additive thing. Um, the other really important part of it is just it prevents movement if they want to cast. So you can, a lot of those sort of support pieces like the shrine, mind screeches, et cetera, you can shut off uh, because they really want to move. Yeah, that's huge because all those those support ca- expel level spellcasters, you're okay you know, monster titan things, they're all usually part of the the battle line as it's advancing, right? So it has to be moving with the rest of the army. And if you it's either going to be casting or moving, that means the battle line's either moving unsupported or, you know, staying back to be you know, with with the support piece. Or its target isn't in its arc or yeah. you know, any number of Yeah, that's other... huge. If you have line of sight blocking units that you can shift and like cover up your juicy targets from whatever the spellcaster is, that's big. Well, cool. You know, I think we've seen a lot of stuff that we we kind of have a better sense that we we like uh, and that are pretty good. We've seen some stuff, you know, that we've talked about that maybe we we think it might go, but we're not a hundred percent sure. Um, but I think again, what resonates for me is just how excited we are all, are for all the new changes. And this is the cock pack is always such an exciting time anyway, because people are trying to outthink each other and it's like straight up princess bride. Like, you know, I know that, you know, that I know that, you know, sort of, sort of dialogues happening, you know, as people are list building and everything. So we're going to take a quick break. And on the other side, we're going to wrap up the show and talk a little bit about what we have in anticipation of cock 2022 on our own hobby tables. So we'll be right back. Hey, this is Luke from Luke's APS listening to Countercharge. This is Paige from Singapore with the YouTube Battle Report channel Newbie Dice, and you're listening to Fanshen Fanti. And we are back. Um, yeah, so we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show and talk a little bit about what we have planned coming uh, for next year hobby-wise. You know, we've talked a lot of theoretical stuff 
Uh, and now it's time to talk some gray plastic, uh, which for me is often often years worth. But I have been painting every day. I must say I'm very excited. Uh, as many of you know, been following the show and the live stream. Um, and not a, uh, 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 I played with against Britain and Tom a lot with my uh, Twilight Can Army. Is that what that's what I'm going to be working on uh, for next year? Is uh, I'm all Twilight Can. Um, I think some of the changes to uh, Basalia trademark uh, helped my list that I already have. I think so. I don't really feel the need. Uh, and after trying to play chariots and getting squashed. I'm back on the fence about sisterhood uh, chariots. So I, I think I am going to be uh, just leaning into Twilight Kin, uh, probably playing the uh, the Basileans, uh, maybe in an event or two. But uh, I think the end of this year, beginning of next year, I'm just going to really tone down my travel schedule and just put all that energy into painting my Twilight Kin. What about you, Britton? Um, what do you have that isn't top secret that you are working on for <laughs> this next year? So yeah, I'm I'm building ogres. It's been my sort of challenge to myself for a while, but I've actually started painting. You know, it's not test schemes anymore and test models and ideas. I have the skeleton of the list. Um, it's a very specific list. It doesn't take advantage of most of the ogre changes. <laughs> so it's sort of, uh, in some ways, it's an entirely idiot list because it's taking all these great ogre Clash of Kings 2022 changes and not putting them in the list uh, for theme reasons, which is always a, a great way to go. Um, so it's a heavily themed ogre army. I'm now painting the actual models included in it. It's all Mantic. And my goal with it, uh, this is just a goal I will probably fail, but the goal with it is to try and compete for sort of best painted and player's choice at the GTs it goes to with 100% Mantic models. Um, so taking taking the Mantic Ogre range and really trying to paint it up to the best of my ability and show it off. Um, so that's the, the plan, and that is taking basically all of my painting time. Um, but... Because it's a new Clash of Kings, I have been plotting a bunch of other armies to do immediately after. Uh, and the current front runner, based on sort of theme and the models I like, is I'm really liking the look of Herd at the moment. It could be bad. Totally could be bad. But I like the Herd Longhorn change, giving them a very sort of unique profile with Defense 4, Crushing, Thunderous, Pathfinder, and Rally. And it could make an infantry-based herd army interesting again. Um, or I could just get shot off the board every game and cry. Um, but I I love sort of the idea of herd. I love the sort of idea of nature fighting back and these sort of bestial creatures. So um, I have a bunch of models already. Some are painted. A bunch would still need to be painted. But I like the idea of a fast follow after the ogres to give a, a very different variety of army uh, coming out with uh, a herd sort of infantry-based list. So, yeah, that's what I'm looking at. It's nice to see now the really good painters tackle that challenge, right? Which is the, can I, how far can I push a Mantic range? Because one of the coolest things about Kings of War, right, is we can use whatever models we want. And there's definitely, we've talked about this before, Britton, right? Whereas I have to think about what my model choices when you're trying to compete for paint, which is a lot of that starts with the with picking the model 
is step one to doing that right because you know the bigger models you know have all the car you know all the little sauciness and with the 3d printing is what it is it's you know there's not a lot of really great 100 percent mantic armies you know i know jeff has a nice forces of the abyss i think mike atkins undead has a lot of mantic models in it or he has some mantic models in his undead army if i if i remember yeah he has some it's got a lot of Mercia too. Mercia too. But, <laughs> but I can't think of like I really cannot think of a hundred percent Mantic army that's at that level. So um, I'm going to be really excited to see what you what you come up with. And I know more, but but if I told you, I'd have to kill you. So I can't I can't I can't say any more. But I'm excited to see it once you're done. Thanks. I know I know I've seen some of the test models in the, the After Dark, and they look amazing. So I'm pretty excited. Yeah, join the After Dark Facebook message thread if you ever want in that thread, or the Kings of War hobby thread. You know, reach out to one of us. There's a couple of good Facebook uh, threads for sharing hobby progress. So, uh, what about you, Tom? Now that um, all the um, armies are still not as good as Undead, but we're a little bit more closer to you, uh, are you going to play something else, or is it still tricycles? Or <laughs> uh, training? Yeah, yeah. Well, is it a meta list if you're the first one to run it? I don't know. That's what I've been asking myself. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I I have kind of three three projects. One is, you know, I don't see for all the the hype and and new stuff. If I'm just being brutally honest, I don't see a lot in the pack that concerns my current undead list, except for uh, new elf shooting. And so what one of the things I'm going to do to counter that is is bring in two of the werewolf uh, heroes to give me now that they inspire everything, you know, I, I, I can do that. And so just give you two more speed pieces to go run up and tap some stuff and lock it down for a couple turns while my my quad hammer boys devastate the the middle of the field. And so that's probably what I'm going to be playing competitively. Um, it's good. It's a weird year for me because I'm going to be going to King of the Monsters in January, but then Lone Wolf unfortunately got scheduled for the same weekend as Easter, which kind of makes it a no go for me. So I'm thinking I actually might travel to up to Adepticon uh, in March, and then uh, who knows Do after it. that. Do it. So I'm going to be adding two more units to my undead. Um, and Adepticon then, is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And then so, convince Tom Robinson to come out, and we can have the fabled Tom off with his army, whatever you decide to bring. I, I just hope he doesn't choose to go to Lone Wolf now, because I, I would absolutely uh, challenge him. Uh, so, I mean, also, like I said earlier, doing halflings, that's not my next big army, because I literally have no idea how to play them. Um, I just made, you know, $800 worth worth of impulse purchase that I can pretty much make anything, any, any number of units in the list now. Um, so I'm going to have fun. That's going to kind of be more of a, my hobby army. Um, we'll see how good I can make it. That probably won't be ready earliest, uh, maybe Dojo GT next September. Um, and then my third one is just going to be something I wanted to do for a while, which is make an army that can be like, 10 different armies because all my all my armies right now are like super specific mantic armies like basileans or uh, undead or halflings and so i want an army that i can kind of cheat a little bit and play as anything and so i'm, I'm thinking 
like a snow-based human slash elf list um, using shield shield wolf miniatures and and some other um, similar similar style miniatures. So that's that's probably going to be two a year and a half from now. But I'm slowly that's, accumulating stuff for that. That's fully embracing the dojo style. <laughs> but, uh, the, let the me, Swiss let Army me paint army one is army a thing. and flex it to whatever the meta is doing right now well i don't know like i'm still under five years into miniature wargaming so you guys might be like numb to this but man it really hurts when they nerf your like super specific units and you're like uh what am i gonna do i'm really not gonna run this unit anymore. when you don't have the the, the closet of six thousand points worth of ancients or whatever that yeah. all these other guys have like freaking britain oh i can play kingdoms of men i have like a whole army of greeks and it's like pressure. Yeah, that was the when when I looked at Jason Britt's army and I was like, do I have 120 human bowmen? Oh yeah, I do. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> like I can just run that list tomorrow. Neat. Uh oh, Garrett, Garrett made a fancy like step nomad based like shooting horse archer list. Oh, I have enough horse archers to make that. <laughs> like um No, first, I mean first world problems, right? What 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 you will sort of realize, Tom, is that everything comes back around again eventually. For the most part, so it's it's not sort of like I I had trolls for my orcs, and then trolls were terrible, and now they've released Riftforge orcs, and those trolls look a lot like Thunderseers. <laughs> it's sort of like, and they're back. So um, yeah, you just wait, you wait in year like war gamers measure time in years not months so like <laughs> in an addition suddenly that thing that was nerfed out of existence suddenly chariots will be back and amazing and you'll be you'll be poised to take advantage of that for a moment yep well what about you alex what do you what do you got going on well my class 22 army is gonna look a lot like my class 21 army that i had planned at the beginning of last year you know life conspired against me this year to put hobby a bit on the back burner for most of the year so i have finally started working on my honor guard for league of rordia this past month and i have my uh battle shrine is printed and on my desk it's the 3d print that i have had my uh, aemon my 3d printing resin dealer make some modifications to which so sick i'm pretty happy with and it's so I, sick i i'm not going to share a lot of pictures of that one until it's ready because <laughs> it's i'm a pretty i'm i'm i haven't painted it yet the modification i'm pretty happy with the modifications and the overall theme of the army is really coming together i have all the parts now and most of them are like in some stage of assembly or paint so i hope i have march of death which is the next tournament that we're running up here is the beginning of march and i think my co-organizer john will be toing so i'll be able to play in it and that's where if it's not ready for the february one day i hope hopefully it'll be ready for the that but it'll be ready for march of death and then that's the army that I'll be using for the year because I have only I've never played League of Rodia on the tabletop, so I've only played it on UB, and I've only been just collecting things for years for it. Now it's finally becoming a reality, which is pretty exciting. But 
to Tom's point, it is also a bit of a Swiss Army army. I have uh, I have some parts to units to fit in that will make a good uh, Order of the Green Lady list and Berenger and Brother Mark if I want to slum it a little bit. And <laughs> I have once once the main League of Rodeo list is done, though, I'll, I'll start up kind of casually add stuff in because I also have large numbers of mantic orcs because mantic orcs are going to be my my next like actual demo army my mantic army so it'll be a bit of a combo it's normal orcs and rift forge orcs but uh and then also i agree with brinton her i have most of a herd army painted but uh the new changes are pretty interesting so i might finish that at some point as a change of pace but who knows? But mainly just League of Rodia. I've been filling gaps and sculpting um, for the past four weeks for my Honor Guard. So i got a few more weeks of that left, probably at my pace, <laughs> before very I can cool. actually paint them. What's that? I said very cool. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. It's it's it's. I'm taking my time. I, I wanted to rush it when I got back into painting this fall when I had time but I think I'm I'm really just taking my time and I really want to do this army like paint this army and sculpt you know do all the conversions the, to my best ability because my rats were very much a get it painted very quickly both times when I painted up the both of my rat armies so this one's going to be a very a bit of a laborious process but I think it's going to be worth it Awesome. Well, fellas, I mean, I, I know there's the pack is so big and, uh, you know, we can't go over everything, but I think we got into a, a lot of the juicy bits. I know I'm excited to get games in. Uh, this, this episode will be out uh, this Wednesday. Um, so we have Li- Living Legends this weekend, which should be pretty fun. I mean, that's not using any of the new stuff, sadly. But... Um, uh, if people haven't been to that tournament, uh, it's it's pretty fun, a team event. Uh, so I'm going to be playing uh, Undead in that, uh, which should be fun because it's uh, Todd wanted to play as Orcs. So um, we're going to be teaming up in there. And sadly, Tom will not be there to to win sportsmanship scores in the, the true dojo fashion. Um, as the Living Legends is like the bizarro backwards turn. No, I'm just kidding. Um I still think that's funny when that happened and Todd was so sad and I was just happy we won best battle. I was like, oh, Todd, we won something. And he was like, damn you, Jojo. Anyway, that was was pretty funny. Uh, But I do want want to give a quick shout out. Uh, We had a great tournament in Reno a couple weeks and weekends ago. Uh, Congrats to the Surge and Destroy boys. Uh, Mike Grant took best overall. Scott, with his beautiful pirate army, got best painted. And Rashad had best battle. And I got to tell a story about Rashad. It's hilarious. Rashad has a tough day one, you know, not playing a little great, had, had a couple r- rough games. You know, he, we're, we're hanging outside, uh, not doing anything illicit, just looking up at the stars, you know, at our Airbnb, nothing going on. And Rashad is like, you know what, Jeremy, my friend? And I'm like, what? And he's like, tomorrow I'm going to kick some MF and but there's a lot of exp, exp, uh, 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 colorful language, but it was like Rashad was like, this is a new scene. So day one, it was like happy, nice Rashad. And day two, it's like 
Mr. Business. And if you haven't played Rashad, Rashad is an amazing player, but he is a man of many faces, a man of many identities. So you, you don't know which Rashad you're going to get sometimes. And he had to play Blake Robertson in turn one, and I was right next to him. Rashad made his all his first turn movements, passed the turn to Blake, and Blake just looked at me and he's like, I guess I'm not getting drunk hungover, Rashad. And I was like, he's like, this is not the Rashad that I wanted to play the game one of day two. He got like, because when you get serious, Rashad, it's it, he plays freaking amazing. I know Britton knows has got uh, when you get him on like a focus day, he is not the opponent that you want to play. So and he, Rashad's been able to string a couple of really good tournaments back to back. So congrats to him. Yeah, I remember when I played him at Masters uh, two years ago, and it was around one matchup. Everyone's like, "That's great, you're getting to play Rashad," but it sucks you're gonna get him when he's sober. <laughs> and it was a really tough game. I just want to say, uh, just before I forget, this weekend we're going to have a one-day tournament here in Hamilton. Uh, it's going to be using Clash of Kings 22. It's going to be Clash of the Claws. And if you're in the Hamilton, Southern Ontario area, come to Black Knight Games on Saturday for a great tournament. So we got probably about 10, 12 people signed up already. So, And we're going to be using their new gaming space, which is amazing and can fit like 20 or 30 people. So. Cool. Any shout outs or uh, anything on your mind, Britton, or stuff you got coming up? Just stay tuned to Dash 28 for articles. We are we did a sort of Herculean effort to uh, do a tier based ranking of all of the units and all of the armies in the game. And we got through almost all of them before Clash of Kings came out. I think only Ratkin Slaves was remaining. But we are now resetting that and updating them all for post-Clash of Kings, as well as adding tier-ranking articles for Riftforged Orcs and the Halfling Army. Um, so just keep your eyes on Dash 28. We are updating them sort of as fast as we can um, and making all the updates to all, what, like 28 armies in the game. God, how are there so many armies in this game? Um but that's been a really fun effort, and, and it's a cool thing, and I am tasked with doing the Riftforge Orcs. So hopefully next week, um, the Riftforge Orcs, either this week or next week, will have a full sort of tier-based ranking. Um, and the, the spoiler is there's a lot of A's. <laughs> the Riftforge Orcs have a lot of good units. I think the army is good, but what I do know is the units themselves are all individually pretty good. So it's it's been fun. Yeah, another shout out to Dash 28. If you guys haven't checked that out, check out that website for a bunch of great resources. And then also make sure, you know, we've talked a lot tonight about competitive metas and tournaments and masters and all that sort of good stuff. If that's something that interests you and you haven't checked out kingsofwarmasters.com, another great website brought to us by Mike Adkins. Make sure you check out that site. That has uh, information about masters. It has rankings for all the different regions. For, it, 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 for U.S. For oh, U.S., yes. And there's an there's also an awesome U.K. site, which I think is kowmasters.com, that covers the U.K. meta and is an excellent, excellent resource as well for lists, events, et cetera. Yeah, and I think a lot of what we were talking about, I felt, you know, you bring up a good point that there are lots of different metas besides just United States or North America that we all exist in. But I do think a lot of what we talked about, I think, is 
is is good no matter where what meta you're coming from or wherever in the world you're coming from i think it's still probably valuable info um because i found you know meta wise across the world there's great players and every great meta but i don't think there's any one meta that's that drastically different in the type of lists that they make so you know you know that is a good thing to know that there are you know more than just uh uh america are as for the texans there's more than just texas when it comes to the <laughs> to, to people who love and uh play kings of war at a high level so i'll believe that when we lose our first uh battle at masters it hasn't happened in six years yeah well that's true i'll yeah oh <laughs> my my counter to that is how much has tom contributed to those <laughs> 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 And how lucky is Tom to be named Tom? So now that when you say the best world, best player in the world is Tom, Tom's like, hey, I'm one of the best players in the world. Yeah, no, I mean, Tom Tom does perform well in the meta name um, yeah. and, and has recently also been backing it up in the actual meta game. So <laughs> it's been fun. And just thanks again to the, all the RC members. Thanks uh, for working on this pack. Thanks to all the play testers, you know, how much work it took. Thanks to all the content creators. You know, there's a bunch of great people in the UK. Make sure you check out the Northern Kings have been giving their their first reactions to different stuff. You know, check out uh, uh, to to see uh, uh, the the Jeremy of the UK, Elliot, my main man, uh, a good fountain of positivity. Um, you know, check out Paige's channel. Um, the Q Cup are, are entering into the semifinals. Uh, if you guys haven't been watching any of that, you know, I know Alex and I played on it and we showed you the whole point of that tournament was like, let's show you all this cool stuff in Clash of Kings. And what our two lists shows you that sometimes when you're building a new list, you realize in turn two of your first game that your list has major problems, but that you can't change it. So we were our, yeah. our goal in doing badly was to show you guys that the lists are an evolving thing. Yeah, I'll. Yeah. What I found don't, really don't, interesting. Don't use the first list. Don't play your first games ever on uh, live YouTube streams with the list. <laughs> well, <laughs> what I found really interesting is like if you look at the the quarterfinalists, there were sort of two list building directions. It seemed like there was I'm going to take an established list I sort of know, and I'm going to sprinkle in a tiny bit of changes. And then there's like, I'm going to make a new wholesale list with all of the toys. And it's not 100% true, but like looking through the quarterfinalists, shockingly to no one, the people who took sort of an established list and just sprinkled in new things seemed to do really well. So, <laughs> um, but I think was less, less towards the spirit of the cup. So we'll see. Well, I'm glad to be my own special snowflake and be your twin snowflake, Alex. And we can be snowflakes <laughs> we, together. We, we, we. We are theme gamers. We played to the theme of the tournament. We mm -hmm. were true, true to the actual intent of the event. So, and I, let's just uh, say I had made my horde, horde of chariots and didn't realize until I was deploying that they were the wrong size. And then I was like, <laughs> "How big are chariots again?" And then I looked at it and I was like, "They're this wide." Oh man, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I, I think you learned. said that that list to me before the tournament, Jeremy, and I think yeah. my only response was just why question mark. And I didn't get what <laughs> I didn't I didn't understand why is he saying why? I mean, I had 
Because in my head, I had built it as three chariot regiments, not three chariot hordes. That's how I had playtested it and when I was working on the Basilean speed. But then I submitted a list with three hordes, and I just was like, oh, crap. <laughs> and then I played the one dwarf army that whose uh, rifles have 25 attacks, which didn't help help me either. But, man, I did get to play Jeffrey Trache, which was a lot of fun. Um, fantastic He's a player. great opponent. Yeah, opponent. and it was love, nice. Love Super nice yeah. to play him. And then it was nice to know that, like, I felt he was of similar skill as the best players in our country. And he's one of the best guys in Australia. So it's nice to know that, like, uh, you know, uh, in, com- in competing against the best in the world, like, I think our best players stand right up against. And then, obviously, t- Tom Robinson, I think, is probably in the next level of where he just doesn't make mistakes. Um, he's in a level by himself. Uh, I think he is. I mean, he's above everybody else. I don't I, think I got to I got to give I got to give my guy Jesse Bilbia a shout out cuz if he didn't forget, if he didn't hadn't forgotten that his chariots had sharpness, that game would have ended very differently. <laughs> oh, that's a big <laughs> one. That. That. Yeah, that was a very good close game against Tom. But yeah, he yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he he doesn't make mistakes. That's the thing. If you make a mistake against him, you get punished. He's very intimidating to play against. <laughs> he's just so freaky good. Like you said, I think, you know, we were talking about this at the Reno tournament as sort of like classifying players. And it was really the best players in the world, I think, are the ones that either at most they make one mistake. But even that's rare. Right. So then it just comes down to really just how many mistakes do you make and dice. But I mean, uh, very rarely is he ever going to give you anything that he doesn't want to give you. So shout out to him, but um, well, I just, sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say what one more shout out I have um, is about call to arms. So in addition to everything else I do, uh, being on this podcast, running for Dash Twenty Eight, I'm also helping Adam Padley run the next call to arms, uh, which is gonna be uh, information is gonna be out about it in a week or two. So we're going to get to use all the, the new goodies. Um, and so I think people are going to be excited about that, even if they're not as excited about uh, UB as they were during, in, in the height of the pandemic. Um, but so look out for that, everybody. It's going to, mm-hmm. PAC's going to be coming out soon. I also, if anybody's interested in helping me kind of behind the scenes with some of the, the data entry and organization, um, Dan Miner, who helped me before, isn't going to be able to do it this time. So I really need at least one more person if anybody out there wants to volunteer. Well, I know they're hosting Masters, right? So I imagine that, that Dan's going to be. Oh, yeah. A lot that's, of, that's a good ha- point. Yeah. Have a lot of work he's working on in Masters. But so, yeah. And and can they just reach, reach out to you on Facebook, Tom, if they want to help out? Yeah, just on Facebook would be great. Cool. Yeah. I, I just want to say, like I said, shout out again to the Reno guys. That scene's up uh, popping. You know, shout out at a, a bunch of great games uh, uh, against Sean and uh, Kyle Timberlake. I got to play him at the Reno tournament. It's always a blast. So shout out to them. Uh, we have Riddle of Steel coming up in a couple of uh, months in early next year, uh, which is going to be a blast. It's going to be held from the uh, Chateau de Holcomb. Uh, in Orange County, uh, we're going to have a bunch of awesome content, uh, including maybe a hot tub stream. But I can't go too into detail about that, but it may just happen. 
So really excited about that. And I just want to wish you from the show, you know, we didn't really do a, a Thanksgiving message or uh, like we do some years, but we just wanted to send you guys love and whatever holiday you, you practice or don't practice holidays or whatever in your own personal life that you do, just know that we appreciate you guys as an audience and thanks so much. So any other final thoughts, fellas? No. Nope. I, I think I've rambled on with my bad opinions long enough. Make some new armies, folks. There's lots of good stuff out there. Buy the book. What's this guy in the fish in the fish uh, trap? Has Easy Army been updated? You know, let's work on our holiday memes. And uh, as always, remember to keep counter charging. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Counter Charge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.